0: Ladies and gentlemen, do not adjust your podcast listening devices. (laughs) This is... Um, this is your old pal Stephen from the old head podcast and and I'm bringing you uh something new now a new series of podcasts uh, that w- uh, are called cranked and ranked and what this is is basically uh me and a good friend of mine which who, who I will introduce in a second um, will be counting down whatever listing we decide to do that's related to rock and metal whether it be a band's discography or albums from a specific year or some other theme that we come up with, but that, you know, you get the basic idea where we cranked them, listened to them, and now we're ranking them. Um, And so uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, I'm Steven and I do a podcast called Old Head. And I also have a YouTube channel where I do a lot of rock and metal related videos. And uh, joining me on this podcast adventure is my uh, good uh, brother in metal, uh, Eddie Sparks. Sir, give give him an intro. (laughs)
1: what's up brother (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm um i'm eddie sparks i make uh similar content but uh mine is is a little less laid back and a a bit more it's like it's basically like old head if he snorted crack and (laughs) lived in spent time permanently in the 80s and early 90s And uh, I make kind of video essays. I generally would do them in front of a green screen, but certain circumstances have prevented me from accessing it as of late. But um, generally, I'll do like mini band documentaries with like funny little gags interspersed throughout. But uh, yeah, and uh, don't worry, my voice doesn't always sound this bad. I've got bad hay fever today, and I got the the sniffles. Dude, I couldn't (laughs) even tell. (laughs) <laughs> That's good.
0: <laughs> so uh, so as you can gather from, from, uh, from Eddie's lovely accent, he is not from America. Uh, he is from the UK, <laughs> and I am, I am from the United States. And so um, the big deal <laughs> with what we're talking about um, with, these, with these rankings and the interesting angle that I think we're going to bring to it is the fact that not only are we 20 years apart in age – um, Eddie being 22, me being 42, but also we lived and grew up on different parts of the world. And so, uh, you know, uh, 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 what was the thing I was saying? Uh, two two generations, two continents, one mission, uh, ranking some shit. Um, yeah. So, uh, so um, <laughs> today uh, we're going to start things off kind of light and do a discography of a band that isn't very big. But if you're talking about the scope of of influence and importance, I would say it's bigger than some bands that got like fucking 20 albums. Um, Today we're going to be talking about the classic, legendary, grunge, alternative rock band Nirvana. Um, And so we're going to be ranking their discography. And uh, so, so my introduction to Nirvana was literally 1991 when Nevermind came out. And I saw Smells Like Teen Spirit on uh, Headbangers Ball, actually. Um, and then I've been a fan ever since. When when were you first exposed to, to Nirvana? I, right
1: off the bat, I wish I could have been around for Headbangers Ball. I troll the internet looking for episodes of that show. I fucking love everything about it. And uh, yeah, so my introduction to Nirvana... I kind of got into grunge through... Now, this this is my age talking here. Um, I got into grunge through the game Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. Ah, okay. And, and it's set in 1992, and the soundtrack um, coincides with that. So there's a, there's a radio station on there called Radio X. Um, surprisingly, Nirvana nor Pearl Jam appear on it, but they picked bands like Soundgarden, Alice in Chains... L7, um, Living Color. I know they're not necessarily grunge, but they get lumped in with the whole alt-metal thing. Yeah, Um, Faith No More as well. And so I was a little bit late in the grand scheme of things when it came to the whole um, Nirvana thing. But uh, when I did, I was totally on board. Um, And the the thing that really sealed the deal for me was the uh, video for Come As You Are. And uh, I'll get into that later because I've got a I've got a fairly big bit okay. written about that. But All yeah, right, well,
0: well, I guess without further ado, let's jump right in. So we're doing, if I'm right, five releases, correct? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm gonna let you uh, start with your number five. Okay. Cool. So um, for the for this list, we included
1: um, alongside their three studio albums. You know, Bleach. Never mind, and in utero. We also included two pretty big um, other releases, uh, Incesticide and Unplugged, as well. Because um, generally speaking, we wouldn't cover like live albums unless they have something genuinely really unique outside of the usual. Like say, for example, either playing with a symphony or doing an unplugged show. So that that's really the only exception to the rule.
0: And honestly, um, I think that my, my, my view is that anything after the Unplugged album is a release that had absolutely no input from Kurt Cobain. So yes, I, don't even, yeah. I don't even count it. Although I love that song, You Know You're Right. It's a great song. I fucking but, love that song. But there's a part of me that's like, would he have even put this out? Who, who the fuck knows? You know, he's not around to, to tell us.
1: Yeah. I mean, that one's one of my favorite, favorite ones. But yeah, um, so for my number five pick, I've gone with the album that I've spent the least time with, but also kind of have an opinion about anyway. So for my number five, I've gone with Incesticide. Uh, it's a B-sides and compilation album and probably the least essential album on this list. It's kind of like a, a bonus uh, it's almost like a bonus episode so to speak but uh, I will say it definitely shows off their influences because it goes from sludgy metal to almost pop punk in some places but you know in in a good way um, I'm not a pop punk fan personally you know I like some Green day tunes but um, that's about me you know I, I, I have a real I have a real aversion to vocals like bands like Blink-182, that for some reason those kind of vocals always just really rub me the wrong way. <laughs> but um, yeah, thankfully this is a mostly metal podcast, so <laughs> I don't yep. have to worry. I don't want, I would, uh,
0: sorry, I'm stuttered there. I don't mean, have to you, worry I, about. I, you know, because <laughs> I was going to suggest ranking some 41 next time. You didn't want to do that?
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I come to think of it, the deep end which one is that
0: one is that i, I literally know ah. very little about that band except for their ah. music videos i just pulled that name yeah. out of my out of my head <laughs>
1: <laughs> i will say there's, there's one song they did that's got kind of a thrashy riff in there that i thought was kind of cool but uh yeah
0: besides but, that but we digress
1: <laughs> yeah we digress <laughs> um so yeah as as i was saying it feels a tad fractured it's uh it's a compil- compilation of b-sides after all and uh with that it also features four different drummers uh chad channing dan peters uh dale crover and uh dave Grohl. so you you know you're in for a lot of different sessions on this on this album so in places it can feel a little bit uneven um I, i actually love this album but it's at the bottom solely based on the fact that it's probably the least memorable for me um for the very reasons I've stated previously but it I will say the interesting things here it includes uh, like kind of really fast punky version of um, Polly, which I think is really cool to see uh, such a slow song uh, in a completely different light so that 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 one always strikes me as holy shit, this is that song. that one always takes me off guard every time I listen to this album I always forget it's on there but then when it does I'm like this this is on Nevermind but it sounds completely different yeah (laughs) but yeah um, my favourites on the album are uh, the first three tracks Dive Silver and Stain I also love their covers of Molly's Lips and Son of a Gun Uh, strangely they're, they're the pop punkiest songs on the album but i've got a i've got a little bit of a soft spot for um major keys in heavy rock for some reason i don't know what it is it's probably just a breath of fresh air in my ears every now and again that might be why it hits differently yeah um but yeah i also love the last three tracks um which are aero zeppelin big long now and aneurysm those are my three favorites really yeah. yeah big big long now in particular reminds me of Alison chains and i totally. just, i i fucking love that song and it's and it's weird to hear kurt with like a big reverb on his on his voice usually he's quite just there but on this one it kind of like it's very expansive and i and i feel like that's a direction they that they, they very could well have gone down had they decided to go down the more like metal Sabbathy route than the
0: punkier kind of thing that they did. If I if I remember right, I think Big Long now was actually recorded around the time of Bleach.
1: Yeah, because I know I know Downer is on here as well, um, and that's on the yeah. yeah that's on Bleach, but yeah. It, there's so many cool sessions on this record, and, it's, and it sh- really shows off all of the influences. Um, but aside from the tracks that I, I've mentioned, the other tracks on the record are probably the least memorable material in the catalog for me, so that's why this record is down here. Cool. But yeah, that's, uh, that's my
0: take on Incesticide. All right. <laughs> Um, I, I feel like my ranking to some people who are listening will probably not be surprising because I don't think I don't think I, I I I don't know. It doesn't seem surprising to me. Um, <laughs> uh, my number five is uh, uh, the Unplugged in New York album. Yeah. Um, and the big reason why it comes in last is because to me, this is not n- Nirvana in the way that they Really sounded Um, Yeah And over the years This release has kind of Bugged me not because of the album Itself because it's a really Well done and classic Performance But over the years some people will cite this as their favorite Nirvana album, and I just want to say to them, well, then clearly you don't like Nirvana. Because, <laughs> yeah. because not only is it completely stripped down, which the majority of their music wasn't, but half of the album is cover songs. Yes. So, so that that shows you how much material they had to work with, that they had to add in all of these other cover songs. Sure, they probably could have, have, have stripped down a few others, but... They, for whatever reason, they didn't do it. Um, but I, I was one of those people that I got to see the premiere of the Unplugged episode on MTV when it aired. And at the time, it was very cool. And the Unplugged television show was basically a way to have these louder bands come in and do a very different stripped down version of their normal set. Yeah. And it wasn't supposed to be a career defining performance. And so that's kind of what bugs me about it. And on top of that like because that is such a uh an iconic thing now with Nirvana, I've actually had to explain to many people that Pat Smear does not play on any Nirvana albums aside from that.
1: Yeah. Like like I I
0: remember <laughs> I I had a, a a friend who once said um Kurt Cobain is kind of a shitty guitar player. That's why Pat Smear played all the stuff on the albums and I'm like where the fuck did you get that from? <laughs> and it's because of this fucking album. Jesus. Um, so it's not, it's not a bad album at all. It's just, to me, it's the least Nirvana Nirvana. Um, but at this point, like it's weird talking about this band because everything that they did, I would give, you know, a five out of five score or two. I think this oh, is yeah. an, ama- an amazing performance. Um, it's just classic. It's eerie at times. It's, it's I don't know, you know, you know, after the fact and everything. But um yeah, it just it just is the one I go to the least because when I think Nirvana, I don't think unplugged. Um so yeah, there you go, number five. Right on. Um
1: so my number four pick is uh this might shock you. Uh I've gone for in utero for my number ah. four. Yeah, um this one and and like like you say it's it's a pretty stellar catalog of of albums and like you said you would give them all five stars um but yeah in this ranking environment we have to be merciless so uh, (laughs) um so let me just go into in utero uh it's a rejection to the previous album's radio success they wanted to distance themselves from kind of the um like kind of douchey kind of people that they'd uh scene getting into it they they'd noticed that there were uh i think there was like this quote i can't remember what it was but uh there was something about uh they would be just as much likely to date rape as listen to one of our albums and he wanted to yeah there was something along the lines of that i can't remember if it was nirvana or rage against the machine All, all i know is there there was a definite rejection on this album
0: that sounds and, uh, like something Kurt Cobain would have said because I, I kind yeah. of relate to that with him because it's got to be really weird to just a few years earlier being, being you, know, you know, threatened by football players. And then a few yeah. years later, those football players are coming to your show and it's, it's got to feel really weird, especially for somebody like him definitely you know cuz
1: and and it's almost like i meant american football by the way <laughs> <laughs> yeah don't worry i've i'm not a uh, i'm not a follower of um football in my home country um i'm i'm not a very british british person <laughs> in a way <laughs> and in that in that kind of regard I, I, that's how i kind of a, i kind of was alienated as a teen so i kind of veered more towards music than uh than sports but um yeah i could totally understand if you get to that level of fame and the very people you despise begin like littering your crowds so you're going to get a little you're going to get a little peeved because you're going to be like like 3 years ago you'd have been sticking my head in the damn toilet and now <laughs> you know now i've got record sales you want to be all over me <laughs> but yeah it's um just going back to the to the album it's uh it's a right off the bat, it's a dirtier and less polished sound, harsher tones, and it sits somewhere between the hooks of Nevermind with the rawness of Bleach, and, you know, it's only got one video in stark contrast to Nevermind, which had four, uh, Scentless Apprentice track one, it's one of the, um, oh, sorry, no, I skipped a note there, comes right in with Serve the Servants, which already sounds way dirtier than you know anything on Nevermind. It's very dissonant in places, and that's only you know further um, packed, uh, backed up by Sentless Apprentice, which came after it on the, on the album. It's one of the heaviest Nirvana songs. It seals the deal uh, with its dissonant, again, very dissonant parts, uh, grooving riff and Kurtz screaming on this on this song is is almost like a deranged man in a straitjacket just going absolutely nuts but yeah like right off the bat i know um, production wise um nevermind was very big and very loud and in your face but this is loud and in your face with its middle fingers raised it's like fuck you if it was an album so um <laughs> and uh Heart Shaped Box the album's lead single even more dirty than any of the previous album singles. Um Rape Me while catchy is purposefully provocative. Kurt was doing everything in his power to just piss people off at this at this point in the their career, you know, uh Francis Farmer again, much rawer but still retaining the catchiness. I've kind of done a track by track for the rest of these. I don't know if it's a format I'll stick to, but it's, um, it's allowing me to get all of the album out in a succinct amount of time. Sure. <laughs> uh, but while it is mostly, mostly a very like yelly, gnarly, nasty kind of album, it has prettier moments like Dumb and All Apologies, which feature a cello and that, kind of foreshadowed the Unplugged show that they would go on to do, incorporating a few more melodic elements in there as well. You know, I've got Fairy Ape is a is an abrasive punk song. Milk It is a Melvins-esque schizophrenic banger. Um, Penny Royalty somehow feels mellow, but also not. <laughs> and that could be the amount of times I've heard the Unplugged version that's made me think that. But at the same time, it, it really it almost feels like two different songs, those two. And uh yeah, radio radio friendly unit shifter, feedback laden sister track to very ape to me. They sound kind of similar, but Radio Friendly Unit Shifter is definitely a tad more vibey on the whole feedback and gnarly sounds we're gonna throw in there. It's uh similar but even more raw. And finally before the album closes out on all apologies and the hidden track, uh, gallons of rubbing alcohol flow through the strip or whatever they call it. Oh, oh, you're, you're
0: including that in your, in your review. Okay.
1: Oh oh, yeah. And, um, yeah, Tourette's, that one is just absolutely savage, like kind of thing going on. But, um, yeah, this album, man, in hindsight, had i you know listened to this one maybe before Nevermind or in a different kind of succession i it might have been higher on my list but uh yeah it's just such a it's a very aggressive album but at the same time the albums above it hit a little little better for me and uh i would like i'd like to hear your take on my take on in <laughs> utero because i kind of I kind of went with it on that one. <laughs> that, that's totally
0: fun. I I will get there because that is not my number four. Ooh. <laughs> uh, uh, my number four is Incesticide, which you already talked about. And honestly, I don't really have much to add from what you said because I, I I put it here because it is a compilation. As an album, it's kind of uneven at times. Um, I do enjoy it. I love every song on it. Um. The uh, the big thing about this album is its importance to me as a fan of Nirvana because this is the first thing I got after getting crazy into Nevermind. So I yeah. was a huge Nirvana fan and I th- I feel like this album came out like six months later or something. It was real quick afterwards that Incesticide came out. and And I, and I remember buying it at Tower Records and going home and just listening to like where these guys came from because there's literally shit on incesticide that's pre-bleach all the way up to you know aneurysm which which has dave Grohl on drums and um so there's a lot of great songs but yeah overall it is a a b-sides collection so because it's not a cohesive album um i don't i don't really hold it as high as the other three and i don't yeah I mean, a lot of the songs that I really like are the same ones that you really like. We're, we're you know, we're kind of on the same page there. Um, so I don't really have much to add. But it was a very important album because you get you get into a band so much, and they're kind of a mystery, and then you get this little window into who they were. And so um, that's still kind of what I gather from the album is it's a cool little hey, you know, now you're a fan. Here's here's where we were before, you know. Yeah. So uh, so yeah, there you go.
1: It's almost like their um, Garage Days revisited, in sure, a way. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of... Uh, I mean, it's got a few covers on there, but it also shows off what they, what they sounded like before they really hit, hit it off. And, um, yeah, awesome. Um, so number three for me, I went for Unplugged. Uh, released posthumously. Is that what it's called? Is that how you say it? post yeah, post, yeah. yeah I, th- I thought it was following uh, kurt's death in 94 i mean obviously it aired on mtv prior to his death but released as an album later in 94 i think it was like towards the end november or something yeah yeah it's the most successful nirvana album released following his passing um they avoided playing hits for the most part, um, ex- excluding "Come As You Are," uh, favoring more deep cuts and uh, covers instead. Uh, six of the fourteen songs are covers, so uh, almost half. You know, my 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 favorites of of the covers would would have to be "Man Who Sold the World," "Plateau," and "Lake of Fire." Uh, "Plateau," I it took me a minute to decide whether I liked it or not because. In it, you can hear Kurt is kind of trying to get to the to the note at points, yeah. but I, in the end, I decided, you know what? That's kind of that's kind of endearing in a way, because it's it's not a flawless performance. You know that there's a part in um, Man Who Sold the World where he completely misses a note, yeah, and um, plays every note around that note until he he gets there basically, but. Um, i feel like it fits the band's aesthetic with the whole you know punky attitude even even if they are playing a stripped back acoustic set they've still got that kind of human element to them because it's very absolutely it's very easy for like heavy rock and especially like not so much like grunge bands but the more shreddy metal bands that their whole shtick is that I can play so fucking good. I'm like an alien. You can't do this. You can't play this shit. I bet you can't play this. And it's like hearing something like um, the Nirvana Unplugged gig, almost, you know, it's it's it goes to show you don't always have to absolutely rip um
0: to still play good music and Well uh, you're you're the point that you're making not to interrupt you but I do feel like this is a good time to talk about it because oh, totally. what you're talking about the the human element the the average guy kind of element that Kurt Cobain brought in, in yeah. his persona and his music that's why he's such an influential person to me musically because I was a teenager and before before Nirvana Every musician I looked at was like a god on a poster on your wall, and you were never going to be able to play like that. And, yeah. and so so um I you know, I wasn't into punk or anything at that point, but even the punk bands, they seemed like they were like a, a, an elite group, like you're not one of us, we're hardcore like this. But but Kirk Cobain didn't seem like that. He seemed like a dude that could be me. And and yeah. so that's why like his his play his playing while it's not amazing has been very influential on me because it's kind of like you're not paying attention to the skill you're paying attention to the to the heart of the of what he's playing and and how he's playing it and um so i don't know it's just it's an, a very important thing, but you're bringing that in about how how about how it was like a warts and all kind of thing where if he was struggling with a vocal part. Um as far as I know he didn't he wasn't like we got to do that song again or cut that song out. He could have easily said don't put that song on the special because my voice isn't that great on it. But he didn't care. He was just this normal yeah. dude that had no problem just letting everybody know, look, I'm not the best, but here's what I do. If you like it, great, you know. Definitely, man. Like
1: I when I got into grunge, I I kind of shed this initial you know thrash metal skin of you know i have to hit everything perfectly and it kind of it kind of influenced my playing to be you know less focused on um trying to replicate the virtuosity of others and just just kind of play what i like and how i like you know there's nothing wrong with being able to play absolutely crazy fast stuff but at the same time, it's also it can be nice as a musician just to step back and be able to make something that's that's more reliant on you know the whole idea of a song than the actual music that you are playing on the instrument, you know, because yeah. Nirvana is a song band, you know, that they they make songs. Cause a lot of bands um tend to fall into the trap of, okay verse, chorus, verse, chorus, play that one really, 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 really fast, Uh, play some chords to allow the vocals to come through here, and, you know, dissecting music in this way, I know it can, I know it can be, like, you know, semantics and things like that, but at the same time, the grunge thing definitely brought along this, uh, same as punk, really, It, it brought along the average Joe appeal to it, so it was like, you can do this too kind of thing. Yep. So, so that's definitely something I, I related to as a 14-year-old kid trying to learn how to tremolo pick and wasn't really getting anywhere at the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the, the, the sad thing about Unplugged, though, is that um, it's kind of a swan song for his career. I, I know there were a couple gigs following this show but it was mere months, like three or four, that he took his life in like April of of ninety four, and it's yeah. it's, it's, it's com- complete tragedy. But yeah, un- unplugged, like you say, I do I do agree when when people say like the stuff, oh, uh, they had this other guy play on the albums. Where the hell they got that <laughs> from? Yeah, <laughs> I do not know,
0: but yeah, I
1: definitely think weren't they thinking about adding him to the lineup oh he, he
0: was he was full-on in the band and he toured with them for in utero ah i see like that, that like yeah if you watch any in utero performances um he's the second guitar player on that yeah. tour so if they had made another record i'm pretty sure pat smear would have played on it cool
1: um that's that's what i've got for uh, number three for unplugged you go right. for it dude
0: Cool. Um, so my uh, my number three is uh, Bleach, the nineteen eighty nine album. Bleach. Um, this one comes in at number three, mostly because while it is a really good album, it it feels almost like a band that's still trying to determine what they want to do. Yeah, you, know, and you could point that finger at Kurt Cobain that he wasn't quite sure. Because if you listen to a lot of older songs. Um, going back to incesticide like arrow zeppelin that's doesn't sound like a fucking nirvana song at all um and so and even with bleach um just the 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 dynamics of it which does keep the album interesting sometimes it feels a little bit strange because you have um, what is that song called? Is it called Sifting? That, one's, that one song, I think is what it's called. Yeah. And, then, and then you you contrast that with about a girl and it's like, all right. Yeah. So I don't really know how those connect at all on an album. And so that's what takes away a little bit for me, because I love all of the tracks and I love the rawness of it. And it's almost got like a muddy kind of sound to it oh yeah um and but when i first heard it it was literally after nevermind and after incesticide and i remember buying this album and at first i didn't like it and my i remember in so i was i don't know 14 or something at that point i don't really remember but i remember thinking to myself it seems like they were all stoned when they made this album (laughs) And honestly, I don't. I, I don't go against that opinion at this point. <laughs> I feel like they may have been stoned. I don't um, doubt that one bit. <laughs> yeah, but um, so yeah. So for me, it falls short from the other two studio albums just because it, it seems like the least fleshed out and the least inspired. Um, but it is fucking great. It's it's yeah. E- each one of these, I have to say, it, it is. A, they all are all great albums. So it's hard putting them anywhere. But. Um, mm. Yeah, I'd have to put Bleach at number
1: three. Cool. Um, so coming in at number two, which leads me perfectly—what a perfect segue! Next. My no, my num, my number two, my number two pick is Bleach. I've gone for Bleach as my number two based on the fact that it shows off a hungry band who hasn't quite, who hasn't made it yet, and still has that. Aggression—it's—it's—it's almost metal in parts, because it's very aggressive and angry. It's got prominent double bass in certain areas of the album, Uh, and like it's not the best recorded double kick, but there's these little flurries of like at at points, and I'm thinking, dude. (laughs) <laughs> Who let Dave Lombardo in the studio? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a it's a chunky album and it's and it's catchy right off the bat. I mean they had they had some hooks even at this point, you know. Uh Blue, Floyd the Barber, you know, about a girl was was I think his attempt at writing a Beatles song or something. He tried writing something in that kind of vein. Yeah. Um and it, I feel like it's an impressive early grunge album. Um
0: but for me it's probably the only one that i would call grunge out of all their albums
1: yeah that that's a fair assessment really because it's the only one that really has that real early um very dirty 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 sound you know in utero's got its uh got its moments but this one's like pure unadulterated dirt right right through it totally I would definitely say side A is the stronger of the two sides, um, especially considering the, the album starts with the trio of Blue, uh, Floyd, and About a Girl, and it's followed by School. And those four tracks kind of set up the things that can be expected throughout the rest of the album, That that kind of catchy but heavy metalled up punk grunge kind of feel that really took off in the late 80s and early 90s um i love the kind of eastern flavor on uh love buzz which i only found out was a cover yesterday
0: oh really
1: uh, yeah i had no idea that was a cover Uh, i always thought um love buzz was just an original song and um I only just found out yesterday after years <laughs> and years of hearing it that it was a it was a cover did you um, go seek out the original to listen to it yeah it's it's like full-on shrooms music <laughs> 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 it's really cool though I, li- I like it it's um very very 60s um, paper cuts it like that one I love feels yeah, like great. a feels like a deranged man about to snap and it's again it's got an almost Alice in Chains kind of vibe to it and it, it sounds almost like something
0: I would I would come up with um, I also feel like I, that may have my favorite Kurt Cobain screams on it like they, yeah. they are hauntingly brutal sounding <laughs> it's, it's pretty great
1: yeah um, coming back to, to support the heaviness of that one is negative creep which is what i would possibly consider at least top three heaviest songs they've ever written yeah i that one is is almost thrash for me that kind of (laughs)
0: it's
1: almost like ride the lightning now (laughs) now that now that i kind of um mouthed it back to myself there it's got that maybe somebody should do a mashup of those two songs (laughs) that'd be fucking sick i'd love to hear that that'd be ace um yeah it's followed up by scoff which is probably my least favorite song on the album it's it's a little repetitive for me although i will say it's nice to hear some double kick on a grunge song which is something grunge didn't do very often at all if that, I I think yeah. I think Bleach is one of the few albums that I can think of where grunge bands actually did do the whole double double kick run thing. That one, I would say. um, I mean, I've I've always been a big fan of of double kick. I know other people have been like, here he goes on his double kick <laughs> rant again. I've I've always just loved that flurry going on.
0: I, I'm a fan of double kick when it's done in a, like a natural way, like a Dave Lombardo double kick. Oh like yeah, I, I, I don't want to hear some technical death metal triggered, you know, double oh, kick that, that God, doesn't yeah. even sound like a drum. Well, <laughs> like like, it, no yeah, because I remember
1: seeing there was this guy that had like two drums, and he was doing he had two drums, but he had double. Um, single double pedals on both of them, and he was doing these like quadruple kick oh, runs, shit. and it just turned it into this single like sine tone. And in the end, <laughs> I, I thought, dude, that's just that just sounds like he's like da da and when it was just this giant honk noise. And in the end, I just think if you do it too fast, it 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 loses its whole. I feel like it loses its whole point. If you're into the whole ridiculously fast rings of Saturn tech death thing going on, great. But there is, you have to admit, there is an inhuman level to some of these things. Sure. And it, and it can make the music sound a, a little bit clinical, to to my ears at least. But that whole like thing... Yeah, it's it's very it's very straight and and perfect.
0: And it, I I, th- um, I think that things like that are kind of what separate me from a lot of metal fans is the fact that I think that two things, double kick and blast beats are not to be used all the time. Oh, God, I think those yeah. are both things that need to be used because if you use them too much, they lose their effectiveness. One hundred percent. Although I do love Cannibal Corpse, but sometimes, but my favorite Cannibal Corpse is the shit where they slow it down, or there's odd time signatures and shit. But you know, so yeah. So sometimes I'm all like, okay, yeah, I get, I get it. The blast beat. All right, cool.
1: Move on. I've all, I've always said I will take a slow, nasty, meaty riff over la kind of blast beat. Any day, you know, blast beats for me there are are to break up the slow sections (laughs) because, you know, for me it's nice to hear them every now and again. But like, I'll be there like and then and it will go back into the slow, and I I just love I love slow death metal. If I'm going to listen to death metal, it's got to be it's got to be slow and it's got to (laughs) be.
0: we've we, yeah. we, we got all the way over to death metal
1: yeah we, we need to we need to rein it in and get back to the grunge <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah wh-
1: where was I double, you, kick, you double were, kick you were on the second half you. of bleach cool I I got to I got up to swap meat here we go uh, swap meat's got a cool feel that throws you off a little bit at the beginning and it tends to bamboozle me a little bit every time I listen to it um, like you said earlier um oh sorry, I skipped a track there. Mr. Mustache is like a demented roller coaster ride with a gnarly I love that one. it's it's almost I that one I liken almost to a Mr. Bungle song with it's like <seinem humminggrass> kind yeah. of kind of thing going on. It it feels almost kind of circus-y, and that's that's what gave me the bungle vibes there. Um, sifting, like you said earlier, it to me Seems like a more in-your-face version of Paper Cuts, with a little bit of uh, Track Four School thrown in there for good measure. But um, for me, going back to the whole—I um, know we went on a full-on uh, tangent with the double bass thing—but just one, one more little thing. <laughs> All right. Big Cheese does it as well, um, and this album is probably the most metal influenced of, of their albums. I, I, I would be willing to put, because not only is it, you know, musically dark, it's also, you know, you look at the album's cover, it's, you know, black and that gnarly negative white kind of thing almost looks like a, a, a precursor to the whole black metal album cover thing.
0: Oh, where, yeah, they would t- where
1: they would have like uh, black and white, really distorted looking photos of themselves. But yeah, it's. Um, and just closing out with Downer, it ends the album with a face ripping 103 seconds of pure aggression, also showcasing the quiet verse, loud chorus thing that would become commonplace in uh, many Nirvana and all round grunge songs.
0: Which originally that was not on the album. I don't know if you Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah I, I did see, I, I did a little bit of research following it. I was like, hang on, why is Downer on Incesticide if it's on Bleach? I thought, did they just you know need an extra song and say, uh, here's here's one? In case didn't yeah, the, it. the
0: first version of this album that I had was on cassette and it ended with Big Cheese. That's, that's always been the ending of the album for me.
1: So is that is that like an original pressing kind of thing, or is that or is that like a more nas- uh,
0: international thing? Um, I'm not. I think it was around. I think it it may not have been just the first pressing, but it was an early pressing of it. Yeah. Um, you and you can get I like like on vinyl. I have a repressing of it, but it's a repressing from 2000, and they, Sub Pop kept it as the original vinyl version. Right. Um with the same you know track listing and everything. So um so yeah, that, that's just kind of how I've always seen it. But Downer's a great song.
1: Awesome. Awesome song.
0: Are <laughs> you, you done there? I am I am done with uh with Bleach. All right, cool. Well, uh my number two, this is where it got tough for me. Um Ooh. <laughs> doing these last two albums is is really tough, but and this may change, I may go back and listen to this podcast months from now and go, oh, Stephen, what the fuck? Um, <laughs> my but number, My number two is In Utero Ooh. Um, from 1993. Now, the f- weird thing about this is that this is my favorite Nirvana album, and I put it at number two. And when I get to... Obviously, Nevermind's my number one. We'll get to why. It, it'll, it'll balance it out. But um, I love this album because it is the most diverse Nirvana album while still sounding like a cohesive statement to me. Um, And it's got so many great songs on it. Um, It was one of those albums that it was probably my first taste of being really into a band and them putting out an album that challenged me a little bit, that didn't just give me the same shit all over again. And so ever since then, that's kind of been the high watermark for every band like if I love an album that you did, please do not give me a redone version of the same fucking thing that you already did. And it Hell started yeah. with *In Utero*, because *In Utero*, like obviously, like you said, it was a reaction to the more polished and um, you know boundary-crossing shit that they had accomplished with *Nevermind*. But it still got such great songwriting. I mean, um, I mean, we talked about *Sentless Apprentice*, um, which, funny enough, I think it's so cool that that song basically built off of a Dave Grohl drum beat and then Kurt wrote the riff on top of it I mean that's really fucking cool it really makes me sad because I'm like man what if what if the next album they had done more tracks like that like I, I don't know it would have been cool anyway so um uh the the big one for me on this album is All Apologies um and it's and this is a song that like I've always really loved but Years go- have gone by since this band was a thing, in, you know, that was new. And Kurt Cobain is gone. And I, every time I listen to "All Apologies," it just sounds so much like the last. It's supposed to be the last song. It's weird. It feels like yeah. a song that would be playing when the end credits are rolling in a movie. 100%. Like, like the, the adventure yeah. is over. Here is, you know, thank you for coming. Here's you know here's the the credits, um, but it's a haunting song. It's such a beautiful song. I prefer the in utero version over the unplugged version, but um, yeah, it's 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 a it's a very powerful album to me. Honestly, "Rape Me" is the low point on the album for me because, like you said, I feel like it is just him trying to push buttons. And I do get the sentiment behind the song, but the hmm. songwriting on that one isn't strong enough to carry the weight of what he's trying to say. Um, yeah but but overall you know at this point it's a fucking classic song and uh um it was weird to put it at my number 2 but when we talk about number 1 I'll I'll uh, shed some light on that so uh go go sure. ahead I am guessing we have the same number 1 right <laughs> Yeah but um
1: <laughs> just before we just before we go into uh number 1 I I just want to build off of uh what you said saying earlier would it have been cool to see you know what what the next nirvana album would have sounded like say in like you know 95 or 96 do you think they would have gone down the more acoustic route with songs like dumb and all apologies a little bit or do you think they would have gone even heavier into their thing Because i know they had um you know you're right recorded um, after in utero, wasn't it? Yeah, uh,
0: yeah. yeah. I don't. Rem- was... I don't remember how long after, but but yeah, it was after in utero.
1: Yeah, they because they recorded it, but uh, I think there was like a a dispute between the members of the band and um, Courtney Love, and Courtney Love said that the song didn't she doesn't deserve to be buried in a box set which is what they were going to release it with they, they yeah. didn't she didn't want it to be uh buried in a box set so she wanted it to be its
0: uh standalone thing to be completely so, honest i yeah. really hope that one day they release a collection on vinyl and whatnot of all just the original studio recorded songs because every collection yeah. every collection as much as i love hearing kurt cobain playing into a boom box in his bedroom i i want the meat of it so i want all the b-sides yeah. i want all all the studio original tracks i'd like them to all be put out on one collection because there's so much good shit that just never made it on albums or it was on a seven inch that you can't even fucking find anymore something like that. yeah
1: like record store day pressings and things like that you know yeah. rare finds yeah I'm 100 with you so uh um, well, oh,
0: oh so to answer your question though Um, Honestly, if you follow the trajectory of what they were doing, how they made three albums and neither one sounds like what was expected, I almost feel like if they had continued down that path, because they did the unplugged thing, I almost feel like they may have turned up the the heaviness a little bit, but I almost feel like if you go back and you look at a lot of the shit that Kurt Cobain was into, I mean, he, he, in his, that journals book, that they they, they released a lot of his, his, he did like lists of albums and he had everything yeah. from like public enemy to Slayer to uh gang of four, like all of these things. And so there's a part of me that thinks that he would have started, um, probably experimenting more with odd time signatures and and maybe yeah. a little bit of droney kind of shit. I, just, I feel like he would have pushed things further at least by then. But there's yeah. also there's also a part of me that thinks he he may have quit at that point anyway. Cuz he was unhappy ah. with the whole thing. So and that's the weird thing you get into the conspiracy theories about his death and all of that shit but I the one the one part of it that always strikes me is kind of eerie although I don't I don't ascribe or whatever the word is to those theories it is really weird when you look at his suicide note all of it sounds like he's just quitting the business until the last few sentences so yeah. it leads me to believe that even if he you know whether it was heroin induced and he just you know, his his judgment was cloudy or whatever it might be if he if he had somehow found his way out of that i think he would have quit i i think he would have become an artist or you know a writer or something i i really feel like he may have just bowed out at that point so yeah yeah and uh,
1: do do you think as well that the the grunge scene wouldn't have uh kind of nosedived after that because i know that I, I i did watch a few like grunge documentaries and the the big thing they always state is that kurt's death kind of took the wind out of everybody's sails and uh but i also um, think there was a collective feeling of our oh, ship we're famous now
0: i i yeah I, I think that if he had i don't know that gets into like deep waters of of speculation because there are a lot of those bands and a lot of them aren't the ones that people talk about like people like to shit on bands um like you know Bush and uh, yeah. um Candlebox and and uh think uh, bands like that but i don't think that that's it i think that those were still genuine bands trying to do something but i think a little bit later down the line you started to get these bands where you could tell the dudes kind of wanted to be a Kurt Cobain and they, I I, So that, I think that kind of fucked things up, but let's just like with any scene, once it gets oversaturated with so many bands, I think it would have died no matter what. Um, but that does bring, well, actually we'll get to this with nevermind. So if you want to finish up what you were saying,
1: cool. Yeah. No, you, you pretty much, pretty much covered it. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, We've both got never mind as our uh, number one. Yay! <laughs> cool. Uh, do you want? Do you want to lead this one, or should no, I? No, no, or? no.
0: Yeah, I want you just it, keep keep the rhythm going. It's it's your turn. Okay, cool.
1: Uh, it's definitely got in in my opinion the best production of all their albums. Uh, it sounds huge. I love the uh, vibey parts, like uh, "Come as You Are." Uh, many of these songs need no introduction. So many of them are iconic, not only in the grunge scene, but in the rock scene as a whole. You know, it smells like teen spirit in bloom. Come as you are. I just I just want to come out. Uh, I just want <laughs> to <wanna> come out.
0: <laughs> well, I'm glad I just, you did it here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I just want to camp out on uh, Come As You Are for a sec. Now, this song and the album *Core* by Stone Temple Pilots are 100% responsible for my unhealthy obsession and love for the chorus effect on guitar. <laughs> I will put that <laughs> yeah. fucking thing on all of my tracks if I can. I, I love it. I love, I love how it gives that kind of watery vibe, and I'll, I'll always associate any guitar with a chorus effect sound on it to hearing to no to seeing the video for the first time and seeing the gun floating in the water and it's like this really pretty blue and uh that's a real nostalgia trip for me whenever i hear chorus it just right back right back to there right back in that moment and uh it just it just always resonated with me and um i just love that it just makes music sound so wet and vibey and chill in a jangly psychedelic kind of way um so that's that's my little tangent about uh chorus effect and why you'll probably hear it in all the bands i'm in
0: <laughs> so should, should we go ahead and do a ranking of the cure
1: then <laughs> <laughs> they, they uh, use that quite a bit <laughs> hell yeah <laughs> um yeah so the uh just going back to the track listing. sorry i, I got kind of sidetracked there i went to just Whenever I get the chance to talk about chorus, I just go on a nerdy rampage. <laughs>
0: this is this is a safe place. You can do that here. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thank God, I finally have. I finally belong. <laughs> um, Breed is fucking wicked. It's a full-on mosh pit song. Uh, Lithium is similar to In Bloom, but it stands out as its own entity uh, to me. It's got kind of that quiet. Loud, quiet, loud. and that could be said for all of the songs, really. But um, you know, Polly, the uh, dark acoustic ballad track—it's—it's uh, it's not my favorite, but it, it's still a good song. Uh, Territorial pissings is like an even more aggressive version of uh, Breed. Uh, I think the guitar was recorded through a distortion pedal and straight into the desk. I think, which is why it I sounds. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, which is why it sounds so insanely distorted compared to all of the other guitars on the album. Like out of outside of the context of the song, it'd sound horrifying. But in <laughs> the, in this case, in this particular song, it just works. You know, I th- I feel like every kind of guitar sound has at least one song where it'd work. Um, for for me going on to the next track the the highlight of drain you is that middle section where it just goes really weird and experimental sounding and you'll never guess what effect they use on the guitar <laughs> Oh I wonder what it is chorus absolutely love it oh, I, I just especially some of the tones that they use chorus on on this album it, they just sound so huge and it elevates them to an even higher plane. Um, uh, lounge act, awesome baseline really shows off. Um, is it Christ or cursed or Christ? I, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I
0: believe that. it's Chris with a T on the end of it. So Christ. Cool. Uh,
1: Chris Nova It really shows off his ability because the guitars in that song comparatively aren't as high in the mix as they are, or at least to my ears at the time. Um, the
0: bass really stands out on that song. And it that's ends. a good thing to bring up. I'm surprised that we haven't mentioned Chris yet because he's such an unconventional bass player. Yeah. And it, on, on all of the albums, you, if you pick out the bass part, a lot of times he does things that I think a lot of bass players would not do. Yeah. And, and, and so he has his own unique style and, and as a bass player, that's fucking hard. It's hard to carve out your own style as a bass player. But I think Chris was exactly what Nirvana needed because it almost gives it a weird, almost angular um, uh, bass you know, uh, presence in a lot of their stuff. So yeah, hell yeah. Okay, cool. I've got
1: a little. I've got a cool little story about "Stay Away." Right. It's it's one of the album's deeper cuts. I love it. It's it's got a little. It's got a little backstory, like I say. It's not something I would say now as a more mature adult, but back in high school, I was on the bus on the way there, and there was this other kid who was being a complete dick on the bus, and me and my friend were sat next to each other listening to the song with one headphone each, and we both kind of looked at each other, and instead of, instead of singing um, the actual words... Uh, I won't say his name. I, I won't say his real name. So I'll I'll call him Jim for now. Uh, but instead of stay away, we struck up with Hey, like Jim is gay, <laughs> <laughs> and it was just one of those little high school moments again. It I'm not homophobic one bit, but uh, 2013 high school was a was a different time.
0: Which and is funny uh, <laughs> because the last thing you hear on that song is God is gay. That's the really? last thing he said the last lyric of that song, he says, God is gay. That's how he, that's how he ends it. I never even noticed that. <laughs> Bam. That,
1: My work here is insane. done. Wow. Learn something new every day.
0: <laughs> yeah. Cause, cause when I was, you know, when I was younger, I, I, I thought maybe he was saying gotta stay, but no, he's saying God is gay at the end of that song. Wow. Which apparently I, was a thing that he used to spray paint on walls when he was younger. That, that would totally add up to his personality as well. That's
1: That seems like a, a totally curt thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, On a Plane is another track I love. Great song. Um, pardon me. Most of these songs, like I say, are uh, five stars out of five for me. Um, Something in the Way has to be one of the most... Depressing songs <laughs> I have ever heard, but I respect that it, you know it's it's grunge, it's meant to be so <laughs> i I love the um wasn't it written while he was
0: living under a bridge? I think that that's myth. I think Is that it? he I think he took the idea of of living under the bridge and just made it into a song because uh, it's one of those things where over the years, I've read a lot of books about him, and <clears throat> um as far as I know, he never really lived under the bridge, I think he hung out under there, so I think it was probably just the idea of feeling like you were so done with wherever you were that you were fine with having your home you know under a bridge somewhere <laughs> right on
1: and um this the last track again, endless nameless uh, yes. uh, otherwise known as the uh, bonus track, actually to me, it sounds like something from and I, I know I've mentioned them before but this reminds me of a song f- from Disco Volante by Mr Bungle. It's yeah. fucked up and really out there. Uh the first time I heard it, it scared the shit out of me and uh I also feel like this was in some way an inspiration for um Good Friends and a Bottle of Pills by Pantera. That you know the oh, re- wow, re- really really the, you know the really weird track on uh, Far Beyond Driven? You know, yeah. <sharp inhale> like kind of the really weird guitar effects. that um, You know, the whole production on that song and some of the guitar sounds really reminded me of that um, Far Beyond Driven track. And uh, I was really listening out for like other things I could
0: spot. See and, and this is why this is why us having these conversations is cool because you I heard, you know, Far Beyond Driven after Never Mind a few years later and so yeah. that can conne- I that connection for some reason never was a thing that I that, that hit my brain in that way and it's just because I and 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 depending on how you heard those albums I guess that's a it's, I don't know, it's, it's different the way we, we soak up music and the way that it hits us. And so that's really interesting that you heard that.
1: Yeah. It's, it's just one of those things that, you know, I, I only really picked up on it yesterday when I, when I kind of noticed one of the, I mean, the, the, the song itself, uh, endless nameless is like six or so minutes. So there's, there's little parts in there that sound like it, some less so, but there there was definitely a guitar sound in there in particular that i picked out and i just thought this sounds a lot like something else what is that yeah. is that pantera is that a pantera song jesus you know and i started to make these like correlations and
0: and it could possibly have been an influence i mean that album ended up influencing a shitload of people i'll get to that you you, you continue uh yeah now
1: to be honest, you can carry on to because that's pretty much so, what I've got for. Well, I'll, I'll
0: I'll I'll start where you left off and I'll go backwards because. Um, cool. Um, Endless nameless. When I first bought Nevermind, I bought it, I right after hearing Smells Like Teen Spirit on Headbangers Ball when it premiered, and I, my brother drove me to the store and I bought a cassette version of Nevermind, which did not have Endless Nameless on it. And then a few months later, I got my very first CD player. So one of the first things I bought was Nevermind. And one day, I'm just hanging out in my room, listening to Nevermind, and I fall asleep. And then all of a sudden, a fucking song that I have never heard before, that's fucking (sighs) weird as fuck, starts playing (laughs) out of the CD player.
1: Oh, my God. And so,
0: like, I... I'm. I get up. I'm like, what the fuck? And I'm looking at the liner notes. Like, there's nothing here. And I listen to the whole song. I'm all like, I called my friends up. I'm like, did you have you fucking heard this? And and one of my friends had the CD, but it just never let it play that long. And so we were like tripping out. And like, so I almost. I, I may be totally wrong, but I feel like that was the beginning of like in the '90s everybody putting hidden tracks on their albums. Yeah. Because I I had never heard of that before that first. Time And, and I guess that makes sense because the CD boom w- didn't happen until around then. Um, yeah. and so once I, uh, once you had 80 minutes worth of time to kill, um, you know, you could fucking put whatever the fuck you wanted on it. You make me nervous when you look over at the thing cuz I'm all like is it recording?
1: <laughs> oh no, yeah. Yeah, don't don't worry, dude. I am just making they're just preventative measures is all. I'm just gotcha. I'm just make making sure that we don't have uh uh screw up like last time. For those sure. who for those who don't know, uh we tried to record uh a pod, podcast before this where we ranked all of uh, Metallica's works. And uh, I, my phone had a spaz attack down my end <laughs> and completely deleted all of my audio and would have rendered that episode of the old head podcast as just poor Steve talking to himself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you could say that's every episode of the old head yeah. <laughs> podcast. <laughs> so so we'll get to that one again someday. Plot twist. <laughs> oh, Definitely. But yeah. So just go- all right. So get, getting back on uh on Nevermind. So um, when I was ranking the albums, I was I was inclined originally to put In Utero first because it's the album that I enjoy the most and I go back to the most and is the most interesting to me. But the more that I thought about Nevermind, I, I was like, well, there's no way that any other album could be number one simply because when it came out it pretty much changed my life um i did an entire podcast oh, yeah. episode just talking about nirvana and talking about these fucked up things that happened in my life around that time and about how nirvana the the nevermind in general was an album that i needed to hear and i didn't even know that i that i wanted to hear something like that it was just i feel like i was the right age at the right time for when that came out and then yeah. all the reasons that i said before about um, the kind of music and Kurt Cobain's style influencing me to start playing guitar and writing songs because it wasn't just some godly thing anymore; it was brought down to my level, um, and that's all on Nevermind. Not to mention the fucking cultural significance worldwide of this album. Oh yeah, it is one of the most important albums ever made, not just in the states, like everywhere, and 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 the the influence not not only crosses uh you know uh, uh you know time zones and shit around the world but it also crosses um genres there are hip-hop artists who cite yeah. Kurt Cobain as an influence and they make references to Nirvana and some of them are huge Nirvana fans I don't know if you saw recently Post Malone doing the uh, a bunch of Nirvana covers yeah and, and they're he, he does it pretty fucking well and and he's not even a fucking rock artist. He's I mean I think he's been in rock bands, but I, but he is a, a hip hop artist. And so yeah. the and Nevermind is the album that took it to that level. If 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 Nevermind never happened, <laughs> whatever, he <did> a couple <laughs> nevers. Um, I don't think that we wouldn't. We may not even be talking about them in the same light that we're talking about them right now. Um, and, Definitely. And so all of those things and just the fact that it's an album with no filler. It's, it's, oh, it's all yeah. great songs. And, I, and another reason why I like talking to you about music is that we appreciate the same kind of production value. Because a lot of people will call Nevermind overproduced, and I'm like, yeah. no, no. Yes, it's very, very, very polished. It's very well produced. But if you put that up alongside a lot of shit that comes out today it sounds lo-fi in comparison (laughs) because it's some shit is just so over compressed and I I don't know. It's just, so I love the way the album sounds. Um, Also, I mean, how many albums include an anthem of a generation? You know, we haven't even mentioned Smells Like Teen Spirit. I mean, it's, it's... it, I don't care how many times I hear that song. It still hits me the same way every time I hear it. It still totally. sounds like such a vital uh, statement while being an anti-statement, which is yes. so bizarre that it's an, it wasn't meant to be an anthem and it became one on its own power. And that's just fucking amazing to me. And so because of all of those things, um, and on top of that, people like you and me who I would, I would think that we both consider ourselves metalheads. Oh yeah. <laughs> we also love this album and this band. And so it's just one of those things where there's so much in it's, it casts out this gigantic net and all of these things are just all included in, and in what nevermind, you know, produced in its wake. And so putting any other Nirvana album, at number one seems absolutely ridiculous, um, and uh, that's all I have to say about that.
1: <laughs> cool. Um, I'd say we covered it. Um, there's a little segment I just wanted to add in here at the end. Sure. Just, for, just for a little bonus. Um, so we're both gonna pick kind of our our favorite overall track. Yeah. Um, if if you if you can narrow it down to one. If 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 you've got two, that's cool too. But um, yeah, if you've got one or two favorite all-time tracks from across their discography, go, go for it.
0: Okay, um, you want me to go first?
1: You go first? Yeah, I've gone sure. first this whole episode, so you, you can start <laughs> okay.
0: this Okay, <on>. so <laughs> um, it, it's tough picking one song from Nirvana, but there is one song that if I pick up a guitar, I almost always play the riff, and that is Radio Friendly Unit Shifter. Really? Um, I I love that. It's such an odd time along with the real driving beat. Yeah. The the way the riff goes with the beat, it's kind of odd. And it's such a, it's just, it feels good playing that fucking riff. And it is one of those songs that you see footage of them playing that song and the whole crowd is bouncing. And I'm just like, oh, it's such a fucking great song. So, and I know it's, 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 it doesn't have the most um, exciting chorus, but I just think overall the vibe of that song is really is really fucking great. So that's that's my pick. Cool. And uh, in
1: case I didn't gush about it enough, my favorite all-time Nirvana track is "Come as You Are." Ah, soul, yes. s- solely based on its um, complete use of chorus all the way through <laughs> it, I, I love it's it's almost like just a and in a way, I mean obviously music is waves. But it does sound like, it sounds like water. It sounds wet. And I think it, it was a really interesting soundscape for me to listen to at the time, because I was still very much a uh, kid that just wanted loud and distorted all the time when I first heard this track. Yeah. Now, I heard this track when I I properly listened to it when I saw the accompanying video, on, I think it was like Kerrang! or Scuzz TV. Those were like the rock TV channels over in the UK. There was a and Kerrang!
0: channel. Yeah, there was a Kerrang! channel. Wow, that's pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, the 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 unfortunate thing is though that it used to be really varied, but eventually, and it it just narrowed itself down to like two specific genres, and it would just. It would play the same thing over and over again. And it but in the when I first got into it in like 2010, it was still really varied. So you would have like 80s versus 90s hour. Um it and then you'd have like pop punk, you'd have your like new metal hour, and then you'd have like groove metal titans, grunge hour, thrash hour, metalcore hour, and then eventually. They just started airing these huge, like four-hour chunks of like top 100 pop punk songs every single <laughs> day. And it would just become, now that this is not me just ranting about one music genre. I w- I'm more ranting about a network abandoning vast amounts of its legacy for just one thing. Yeah. And, I think, and I think that's what kind of I, I think Scuzz did the same thing. As well. That's actually that's,
0: what. That's what happened over here with Headbangers Ball when it was. Yeah. Re, it was re, it was revamped in the 2000s, and yeah. they left behind so much good shit. And that's what Headbangers Ball was like. They played, you know, a hair band into a a grunge band, and then later you'd see a death metal video. And so, um, that's, yeah. So I, I agree that that, that's, they were, they were better times.
1: (laughs) Uh, And that, and that's why I was so, you know, just going back to the whole come as you are thing, but before Kerrang! TV turned to, turned to shit, (laughs) it, um, it would play so much different stuff all day long. And by sheer chance, I just happened to be in front of the TV. I turned on the TV and It was almost like something out of a show or a movie because it was so perfectly timed. I timed turning on the TV perfectly with the Come As You Are video starting. And I didn't know it was Nirvana until it popped up at the bottom. And I was like, no, 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 no. And I was like, this is cool. What is this? Where has this guitar tone been all my life? (laughs) And then I found out it was Nirvana. And I was like... Holy shit! I got to get into grunge now, and um, I have eventually found out about um, "Core" by Stone Temple Pilots, and that remains possibly my favorite grunge album. Interesting, because it's it's got it's good, the so yeah. it's got like the the wet reverb of Pearl Jam's Ten with the heavy riffs of Alice in Chains. And the kind of chorus, chorusy guitar tones of Nirvana and a little bit of Soundgarden thrown in there for good measure. For the, I love that album because people always turn around and try and say that um, early Stone Temple Pilots was just a Pearl Jam ripoff, which I completely disagree with. Just because a band has like similarities, you know, that's like that's like calling Metallica a Slayer ripoff because they use
0: tremolo picking. Sure. Also, people seem to forget that Core came out the year after Ten came out. So, how much influence could they have actually had over exactly. Stone Temple Pilots? So, and that's it, the same year that Dirt came out by Allison Chain. So, by all accounts, to me, Stone Temple Pilots fits in more so with the classic grunge bands than they do yeah. the second wave although they would be considered second wave but that's for another uh, uh topic
1: <laughs> T- totally dude but yeah c- come as you are my personal favorite nirvana song
0: awesome well uh, cool. that about that wraps it up for the first uh cranked and ranked and uh if you've lasted this long uh i appreciate it um we're gonna keep doing these uh, I don't know how often we'll figure that whole thing out, but don't worry. We're going to, we got plenty of shit to rank. Um, also, um, I'll probably do a video version of this and throw it up on YouTube. So if you happen to be listening there, just put some comments down below of some rankings that you might want us to do. Cause you know, we, we could always use, use some good ideas. Um, and ov- obviously any comments. Um, so, uh, and if you want to listen to this as a podcast, go over and at, to Apple podcast and Spotify and I don't know. What do you listen to podcasts on your end? What do you use? I I use Spotify. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. All right. So yeah. So it's all out <laughs> there. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, do you have any parting words for the audience? Uh,
1: no, not not really. I just I just <laughs> <laughs> I just say you know it's it's been an absolute pleasure starting this this podcast. I finally have you know, I finally have a vehicle to, to rant about my love of the chorus effect on.
0: Yeah. And and I, I honestly love having somebody to talk to. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) oh, definitely. It's it's mostly just me. (laughs) Um, so yeah. All right. Well, thanks everyone for uh, listening. Um, and we will see you all again the next time around. Bye. Later, dude.